What a great song to have in our hearts and our minds as we prepare to study the Word of God. There is nothing more comforting, I think, in our entire theology than to know that God is faithful, that He's unchanging, that every time you go to God, you know He will be the same as He was yesterday and the same today as He will be tomorrow. God is unchanging in every way, and so it's such a comfort to us. Well, I want us to take our Bibles this morning and return to our study of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I want to say thank you to Tim and to Russ for filling in last week, and thank you for your prayers as my wife and I were dealing with all the final details from her father's passing past December, which was a great opportunity. I got the opportunity to share the gospel with those who were there at that time, so our nephews got to hear that, and many other people who he had known, and... and um, Pray the Lord would have used that in their hearts. You'll never know those things at times until glory. And God is faithful sometimes not to even give us a glimpse into what that might look like. And so we just need to be faithful to Him. So thank you for your prayers in that. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 1. We've been in this text for some time now. As you know, there is much for us here to understand. And there is... In fact, more, you may not know this, more by way of content in chapter 1 and 2 of Luke than in most New Testament epistles. Some of us look at the New Testament and go, man, I can't read that whole book, but I'll read a couple chapters. And when you read chapters 1 and 2 of Luke, you've read most, more content than many of the New Testament epistles in the Bible. And so there is much to say, and there is so much for us to understand as we ponder the details of what is taking place in these incredible events. We find ourselves this morning in verses 39 to 56. 39 to 56. It's another lengthy section, and we don't want to to really miss any of what is going on here from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Luke, who is writing it. And we don't want to certainly miss any implications that it brings out for our lives here. And so I want to read this section for us as we begin, and then we'll begin to unfold it together. Beginning in verse 39, Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judea, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. It came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary said, My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. You bow with me in a word of prayer as we ask God to attend our time. Father, we thank you once again for your word, for all that you have seen fit to tell us concerning the unfolding of redemption, all that we can glean and all that we can know and learn about you and about your character and about what you have called us to be as believers in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would open our understanding, illumine our minds by the power of your Spirit. Allow your grace to just flood this place and shower us with the blessing of knowing you and reveling in the wonder of who you are. So use this time to honor your name as we study your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several months ago, or several weeks ago, as we began our study of Luke, we have gone through the process of meeting several characters as we have walked through Luke chapter 1. Of course, we have met Zacharias and Elizabeth. We saw them in the beginning verses of this chapter. They, of course, are the old couple that have had this miraculous event happened to them whereby they were told, and it is now in fruition, that they were going to have a son in their old age. It was an incredible announcement. From all human perspectives, it was in fact an impossible announcement. It was humanly unexplainable what they were hearing. In fact, Zacharias initially didn't believe it. He was doubting that it could happen. Why? Because all he could think of was his physical inability. He was old. His wife was beyond the years of any kind of childbearing. His mind was filled with all of those details that were going on as he was beyond any way whereby they could have children naturally. And for his unbelief, God, of course, out of his gracious mercy, struck him with temporary deafness and the inability to speak. It's somewhat ironic, I think, in the words of Luke here in the verses that we read, that Elizabeth says to Mary, and we'll kind of mention this later on in verse 45, she says, and blessed is she who believed. I wonder sometimes if Elizabeth was thinking in the back of her mind, yeah, and my husband didn't. He didn't initially believe. It happened. And we're glad of that, and we certainly believe, and we certainly are rejoicing in what God has done, but blessed are you who believed. They were physically unable. They didn't believe. The text even tells us in the early verses that they were righteous in the sight of the Lord. It seems somewhat oxymoronic that those who had such a staunch faith in Jesus Christ, who were righteous in the sight of God, would exercise any kind of unbelief in the faithful word of God. And yet here was Zacharias doing that. And yet through it all, we saw as we were working through that, that unless God works, nothing happens. Unless God works, nothing 
happens. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, if you refuse, if you refuse the reality that God is operating, if you refuse to think about the reality of the supernatural, God handy work in what is going on, you will never believe what is happening that you cannot explain. So what was going on with Zacharias. He couldn't explain it. He could humanly think about it. And his human thinking was all but confused by the reality of what he was being told. And he didn't believe. Why? Because he didn't think about the supernatural. Didn't think about God working. Unless God works, nothing happens. We read about that this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, right? We believe the worlds were made from nothing. Why? Because unless God works, nothing happens. So we met Zacharias and Elizabeth. We've also met Mary. We've been introduced to Mary. She's this young virgin girl who has this miraculous event take place in her life. She is told of things about herself that are unbelievable, things that would happen to her that were humanly unexplainable. She had been told by God that God has granted her grace, that His grace was upon her. She knew she didn't deserve grace. She knew that she was a sinner before God. She saw herself rightly in the sight of God, and yet here she is hearing from God, this wonderful truth, the truth about God and what God was doing to save His people from their sin. Faith ruled her heart in spite of the fact that she was hearing things that were humanly impossible. And again, we are reminded that unless God works, nothing happens. Right? We highlighted this back in verse 34, not 34, 37, where nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. That is what Gabriel had to tell her. Nothing will be impossible with God. That is why he professed that. And that is why Gabriel professed to Zacharias and Elizabeth, listen, I am the one who stands in the presence of God. That was all that was needed to be said to challenge the unbelief of Zacharias. I stand in the presence of God. In other words, I, I know everything that God says always comes to pass. Always. Who do you think God is? Unless God works, nothing happens. Don't you know that? Don't you realize that? There's another we've met, though. There's another we've met. We've met Theophilus. We've met Theophilus. Maybe you forgot about him already. He's only mentioned in the first verse. Maybe you forgot about him. This is the one to whom Luke is specifically writing all of this to. He's writing down all of this so Theophilus will know. Theophilus, you need to know all of this information. You need to see, Theophilus, just how humanly crazy all of this really is. He needs to see, as we are going to see as we study throughout this gospel, 
how impossible all of this is from a human perspective. When we look at this through human eyes, it's absolutely impossible. And the sinful heart will be tempted to explain it away by human reasoning. And yet, even though, and even through all of it, we are left at the place where the impossible is still in front of us. You can try to explain it away. You can try to give human reasons for why all of this is taking place. You can try to explain what took place with Zacharias and Elizabeth in some human form and some by some human reasoning. You can even try to come up with some kind of fantastical reasons what happened with Mary was somehow humanly explainable, and yet through it all you still have the impossible right in front of you. We're left at the place where no human explanation will satisfy what is happening. And so that is the place where we are led in the Gospel of Luke. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He is leading Theophilus to the very same place, the place of faith. Faith. The place where we understand that unless God works, nothing happens. I can only imagine, as Theophilus is reading these words, that he may have been thinking what some of us may think. Really, Luke, this happened? Really? This actually happened? Yes, but there's no human explanation. So look at what Luke is led to tell us. Look at what Luke, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is led to tell us. He tells us about this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth. By the way, it is a celebration of faith. This meeting between them is just that. It is a celebration of faith. It is a celebration of believing. Luke is saying, in essence, to Theophilus, Here are two women, two now pregnant women, one is old, one is young, both by all human evaluation and by all human perspective, neither are supposed to be pregnant. One is barren, one is a virgin, they are relatives of the other, and carrying in their wombs they have the very handiwork of God. Now up to this point, Mary and Elizabeth have been apart. In fact, neither know of the other circumstance. Mary knows a little bit only because Gabriel tells her something in verse 36. Even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. That's all Mary is told. That's all Mary knows about Elizabeth. Elizabeth knows nothing of Mary's encounter or the hand of God upon Mary. There are no cell phones in the ancient days. There are no pony expresses that run mail and run news to somebody in a quick order. There are no text messaging where you get instantaneous information. 
There is none of that. Neither knew of the other. And God, through His gracious mercy, gives Mary a sign. Gives Mary a sign. He leaves her with a revelatory message. Your relative is pregnant. Your relative is pregnant. Why would God do that? I mean, God has sent an angel to Mary. He has sent the same one that He sent to Zacharias. And they are standing in the presence of the supernatural. And He releases all of this information from the very presence of God to Mary. And yet here is God telling Mary, listen, even your relative is pregnant. Almost as if to convince her that what He is saying to her will happen. You say, why would God do that? Why would Mary need that? Why would she need that? Well, I believe it's pretty clear. Faith doesn't come naturally. Faith doesn't come naturally. Listen, the natural cannot produce faith. We cannot produce faith that believes what God said to be true and then follow it. We cannot in and of ourselves produce that. And for the Christian, God is kind. God is gracious to His people. He is kind to confirm what He is doing by strengthening our faith, the faith that He's given us to believe the faith He's given us to walk by faith, He strengthens that as we continue to believe by confirming it. Confirming what He says to us. Let me put it this way. I think in the way that Luke intended Theophilus to understand it. Go back to verse 4 for a moment. Remember what Luke said to him in verse 4? Theophilus, I'm writing to you, verse 3, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Wasn't just words about history. It wasn't just stories about his life. It wasn't just history about things that he might have read in some book if he was able to get his hands on some kind of parchment that might have been a book to read. No, these were things that he had been taught, things that he had been told, things that he had been shared with him about the redemption of Israel, about God sending the Messiah, and about all of this incredible stuff that had taken place. I want you to know the exact truth about these things. You have been taught things about believing in God. You have heard things that seem beyond any logical human belief. But you know what, Theophilus? You're not alone. You're not alone. Let me show you the reality of this, even in those to whom it happened. God knows that all of this information given to Mary is going to be difficult to believe. God knows that. Why? Because a sinful heart never wants to believe. Never. In fact, Hebrews tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. We we can't even please God. We can't even honor God. We, 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 We hated God before God granted us any kind of 
faith to believe in Him. The sinful heart never wants to believe. And so God, in my own sanctified speculation about the whole scene and what's going on and what happened prior when Gabriel was standing in the presence of God and God dispatches Gabriel, go tell Mary this. I want to think sometimes that God must have told Gabriel, listen, give her this information also. What information? And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was barren is now in her sixth month. Tell her that too. Tell her that's happening. Listen, Mary, I know what God is saying to you sounds really crazy. It sounds very, very impossible. I know that. But he's already made it human. What is humanly impossible happen? Your relative Elizabeth? Yeah, your old, barren relative Elizabeth? She's pregnant. What? She's in her sixth month now. What? What? How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, nothing happens unless God does it. That's why he says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary believed Gabriel. She exercised faith. Unless God works, nothing happens. And Mary's faith is strengthened by the news. Mary's faith is strengthened by what she hears. And so she believes. She exercises faith. Her faith is real. But of all of this, it's still really beyond human comprehension. And in fact, Mary is going to face a whole lot of opposition, a whole lot of doubt about what has happened to her. Even her betrothed husband, Joseph, is going to doubt what is going on with her. Surely you can't have been able to conceive without a man involved. Surely that can't happen. That's impossible. It's never happened in the past. That's not how it happens. Virgins don't have children. No one would believe her. She needed her faith strengthened. And the one place to see the validity of what God had told her was to go and see Elizabeth. Go and see Elizabeth. And this is the first implication I want us to draw from this text this morning. Communion with other believers strengthens true faith. Communion with other believers strengthens true faith. Luke tells us in verse 39 that she arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judea. And she entered the house, in verse 40, of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So think about it. In your own reading, if you've read this text, as I'm sure you have, you're asking the question, why is this here? Why is it necessary for us to know that? Why is that detail given to us by God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Luke as we're here reading this? Why is it here? And one of the answers is this, so that our faith will be strengthened. So that our faith will be strengthened. In other words, Elizabeth is a gracious confirmation from God 
for Mary. Why? Because in Elizabeth, Mary saw what God said coming to pass. God said, your your relative is pregnant. She's in her sixth month, and Mary saw that in actuality. Her faith is strengthened because God confirmed what He told her. He confirms to us. This is exactly, I believe, what God does with us when we believe. He confirms to us that faith in what He has said is actually true. You say, how so? As we meet with others and hear the testimony about who they were and what God has done in their lives. When you and I gather together and we're with other Christians and we're talking to other Christians, maybe it's a Christian you have never met before and it's some stranger and you feel this sense of camaraderie together when you start to talk with them about who you were prior to your faith and God saved you and they tell you their story and your faith is strengthened by who God is in their life. That's exactly what happens. In those moments we understand more fully that what God says is true. We understand more fully that God is who exactly He has said He is, that He can be trusted, that He is faithful, that He does what He says, that in Him and through Jesus Christ, we are actually saved. We are those who can trust Him. We can continue to go, even though it seems so crazy, so out of this world. Believe upon one who died on a cross? Are you crazy? That seems ludicrous. And then we see others. We hear others. We see what God has done in their life. We see the change. We see what's happening. And we know God has done a miracle. Just as I know God has done in my life, and they are encouraged by my story, and I am encouraged by theirs. It's by grace through faith. It's through fellowship that our faith is strengthened. And so Mary hears of Elizabeth. She hears that nothing is impossible with God. Mary has has believed the message. She has believed, let it be done to me according to your word. I, I believe it. And yet God sees fit to strengthen her faith. And so Mary rises and she goes in haste to the hill country of Judea. I always like when I see words like that in the scriptures. Haste just simply means Mary didn't wait around. Remember, she's only a teen, a young teen girl, but she didn't wait around Her desire to see her cousin was strong. Her desire to see God's working was strong. And so she immediately heads out from her home in Nazareth and goes down south. Elizabeth lived probably 60 to 100 miles south of where Mary lived. And so her journey would have taken her days. At some point from the announcement that Gabriel had made to Elizabeth, at some point in there, maybe at that very moment, the Scriptures do not tell us, but at some point from the announcement of Gabriel to her arrival at Zacharias' house, she, by means of the Holy Spirit, has conceived in her womb the holy offspring. She has become pregnant. 
We don't know when that moment is. God doesn't tell us. All we know is what the angel says in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. It might have happened right when Gabriel said that. But we know this from the text, that by the time she got there, she was pregnant because of Elizabeth's response. By the way, just an interesting side note here. I don't want to bore you with anything. But I heard a scientific term recently. Parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis. Parthenos is, Parthenos is the word for virgin or pure virgin. Genesis is right the beginning or something beginning from a virgin. That's the idea. Did you realize science has tried to do that for decades? Centuries even. They have tried to parthenogenically produce something. They've done it, actually, in lower life forms. Things that aren't with reasoning, things that have no soul, they've been able to do that with. And yet every time they do it, they can only produce one kind. They always produce the kind from which it must come, which is the female. They've done it in rabbits, whereby they produce rabbits without the introduction, parthenogenically rabbits, but they're always female rabbits. Why is that? Because God has made it such that in the human realm, in the human genome, the husband or the man is the one that determines the sex of the child. Their chromosomes are the ones that determine the sex of the child. And so a female can only produce female. They've never been able to do it in the human form because it's impossible. You cannot do it. But even if they could, hypothetically, even if you could parthenogenically reproduce anything in the human realm, it would always be a female. Because males determine the sex. So here's God in this moment coming upon this virgin, overshadowing her, and she's going to birth a son. Humanly impossible. Humanly impossible. Conception of Jesus is unexplainable by any human explanation. Why? Because unless God works, nothing happens. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth's house unbeknown to Elizabeth, and their message to one another is a mutual strengthening of their faith. Listen, we need to always consider this. Communion with other believers is a gift of God's grace. We need to to remove that out of the zone of, of scheduled activity. This this idea by which we take interaction with others and we we schedule that into our busy life as if somehow that schedule is okay. And so we even get to the place where we start to schedule worship of God into our lives. And yet we need to see the communion with other believers in this reality that is a gift of God's grace to strengthen our faith. 
Each and every Christian, I think, intently, inherently knows that. I think that's something that we know inherently, and each one of us finds great refreshment along the, the narrow walk of Christian walking in faith when we hear the experiences of others, right? It helps us to hear how God works in the lives of others and how He has been faithful to help and be in the life of someone else that it helps us to walk by faith. That's, that just is inherent. Right? No Christian is the same as they were before Christ. None of us are the same as we were before in our pagan lives. Why? Because we've responded by faith to God. This is what Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. That's what happens. We must be rubbing up against each other. We must be interacting. It is a gift of God's grace to strengthen our faith. Luke's writing this so that Theophilus would know this. So that Theophilus would understand this. Every genuine Christian is a person who has believed God, and yet far too often we forget to speak to other Christians about that faith. About what we've believed about God. What God has shown us in His Word and and what we believe. So first and foremost, we believe what God says... Mary did that. She believed what God says. And then we seek out others who have believed God. Why? Because it mutually strengthens our faith by God's grace. Again, hopefully you won't forget this phrase. It's the title, unless God works, nothing happens. So that's the first implication. The second implication is this. Notice that Christian faith acknowledges the Lordship of Christ. Christian faith acknowledges the Lordship of Christ. Listen to what Elizabeth says to Mary. It came about, verse 41, that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said... Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord." Now remember, Elizabeth up to this point knows nothing of what has happened to Mary. She knows what has happened to her that has been patently made obvious by the fact that she is growing in her pregnancy. She's six months along now. Even though she cannot speak to her husband whereby he would hear her, they have somehow communicated within their home. They have certainly consummated the reality by which God had promised and Elizabeth has become pregnant much to their surprise in some ways. And here Elizabeth says to Mary these words. This greeting has has caused her to rejoice. Why do I say that? Because an ancient greeting was more than just a, hi, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you. It was more than that. They would have greeted one another with a holy kiss And then they would have begun to share what had taken place with them. I mean, this would have been, and I'll say this without trying to step on my tongue with you ladies, 
this would have been the classic women conversation, right? I mean, it would have sounded like a bird aviary in that house. Maybe it was a blessing that Zacharias couldn't hear. It went on. I mean, this wasn't just, hey, it's been a long time. No, they were telling each other what had happened. I mean, I mean, Elizabeth was sharing with Mary all that took place with Zacharias as much as she knew from probably six months of Zacharias trying to write it out and tell her all that he had seen. And, and Mary is telling Elizabeth, well, guess what happened to me? I mean, you, this is crazy. This is incredible what went on with me. They would have greeted one another and begun to share all of that. And as Mary shares her story and she hears the greeting, Elizabeth hears this greeting, she begins to speak. And she has a whole lot to say. And yet the most significant thing is that Mary is blessed. Why? Because of what? Mary is blessed because of what? Because of faith. Verse 45, And blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed. We'll look at that in a moment. But what I first want us to notice is that faith acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Faith acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You notice that Elizabeth calls her the mother of my Lord. How has it happened to me, verse 43, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You read through the New Testament, you hear those words upwards of 99 different times. My Lord. In fact, I believe we're so familiar with them as Christians that we tend to do like we do with a lot of Christian phrases and sayings, they lose their meaning. They become fading, especially when referring to Jesus. Elizabeth hears the words. Elizabeth speaks these words. There's nothing less than a clear declaration that the child in the womb of Mary was none other than the long-awaited Messiah, my Lord. In other words, Mary was carrying the one to whom was prophesied in the Old Testament, the one who would come, the Lamb of God, the Lord of glory. And here, Elizabeth is a wonderful example of faith and acknowledgement of Christ's Lordship. In fact, here's how the Apostle Peter expressed this kind of faith when asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? Remember that? What do the people say? Well, the people say you're this. Some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others say a prophet. But yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter acknowledges and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That too was an expression of faith. An expression of belief in the divine lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is simply to say that Jesus, beloved, is Lord. He is Lord. That's a declaration. That is not something we do for Him. That is who He is. We cannot make Him Lord. Elizabeth is acknowledging who He is. 
I hear Christians say that all the time. Ah, oh, make Jesus Lord of my life. I need to I need to make him Lord of my life. You know, that old bumper sticker, you know, I'm the co-pilot, Jesus is the pilot kind of thing. I need to put him back on the throne. You know, I, I was on the throne. And he, all these little Christian sayings that we say. No, you, you don't make Jesus any of that. I know we say those things. We try to help somebody, right? Somebody's struggling. We need, we're trying to convey to them that reality. But sometimes we say it in such a way that seems to be that we have the operative power to do something with Jesus. No, what we need to do is walk according to the reality, right? We believe what He already is. He is Lord, and we acknowledge that, and therefore we live by that. He is Master. That's what it means. We don't make him master. He is that. Sometimes we don't live as if he is, but he is that. And so when Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, what happens? Luke says she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41. The baby leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? I believe it was because of faith. Faith. She spoke of her faith in the following verses. She spoke because God was filling her. Let me say it again. Unless God works, nothing happens. This is God working all through this. His his fingerprints are all over the place. And oftentimes we see the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, right? We see it right before our eyes. And when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit... What do they do? They, they begin to tell about God. They don't speak gibberish. They don't speak in these languages nobody can understand. That's nonsense. The Holy Spirit exalts God. It exalts what God says. And that's what people who are filled with the Holy Spirit do. They acknowledge what God says. They speak the words of God. That's what we see happening here. Elizabeth, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes right in and and the Spirit of God takes control. And she cries out with a loud voice, it says, verse 42. Why? Because of joy. Because of joy. Right? She says, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, verse 44, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. She knows why the baby leapt in her womb. She knows why the baby got excited about Mary being there. It was because of joy. And that only exhilarated her. And also in order to emphasize what she was about to say. By the way, the text says she cried out with a loud voice. I think that's always interesting to me. God likes loud things. I think about heaven. Heaven's not going to be a quiet place because we're going to be loudly praising the Lord. She speaks loudly. That's the idea that what God wants to say, He wants to make sure we hear it. It's like the word behold in Scripture. Pay attention. She cries out with this loud exclamation to Mary, and so it's loud to her. It's, uh, you, you need to hear this. She opens up her mouth and speaks revelation from God. That's not what we do when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't speak revelation from God. We speak revelation that has been given already by God. We speak His Word. We go to the Scriptures and we proclaim what God has said. 
But this is revelation from God. The emphasis is on the blessing that it is. Notice, she says blessed three different times. Verse 42, blessed among women are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed. This is the third implication that I want us to see this morning. The blessing of faith. The blessing of faith. Can't miss this. This is a prophetic pronouncement of blessing. Not just upon Mary. Not just upon the child. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Not just upon even Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth even says without using the word blessing in verse 43 and 44, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I mean, she's saying, this is such a blessing to me. This is, this is overwhelming for me. This is wonderful for me. But even more so than that, it's a blessing for us. It's upon all who believe the words of God. There is a blessing by faith. Mary is blessed because she's been chosen as the vehicle through which the Messiah would come. The child is blessed because of who he is. Inherently, he is God in utero. Is God coming in the flesh. Elizabeth is blessed because she's in the presence of God and she knows it. This is her Lord. She acknowledges that. The baby even acknowledges that. And I, in fact, I even think that was of the Spirit because John the Baptist was filled from the Spirit even from his womb, it says. So even his leaping from joy was a product of the outworking of the Spirit's work upon even that child in the womb. And notice, verse 45, there's a blessing for us because of the way I think Elizabeth says this. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You notice Luke doesn't write, blessed is Mary. All of a sudden in this text, it goes to the third person. Blessed is she, this this pronoun that's removed from the specificity of who she's talking about. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke writes, blessed is she. It's, it's, It's removed from the specific. And I think that's simply to say it's not just to her. This is not just for her. This is not just a blessing for Mary. This is a blessing of faith on all who believe. In other words, blessing comes through faith, just as faith is a blessing. In fact, what is the history, when you think about it, what is the history of God's saints throughout the history of mankind? We read it this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. It's an exercise of what? Faith. It's an exercise of believing what God said. Hebrews 11 tells us the lives of those from Abel all the way down through the ages, whereby as redeemed people, as those who believed God, as believed sinners, 
They were granted faith to believe and they were blessed by that faith. By faith, they embraced promises not seen. By faith, it says, they endured hardships. By faith, they lived and they walked according to the ways of God, even in a world that hated God and didn't want them to walk that way. By faith, Noah did what he did and condemned the entire world. By faith, they looked upon the unseen Savior for good things to come. It was by faith. Faith was a blessing, and the blessings would come by faith. By faith, they battled. They battled the flesh. They battled the world around them. By faith, they overcame and they arrive safely in their heavenly home. Blessed is the one who believes. That's what Elizabeth says. Blessed is she who believed. You believed. You exercised faith. Anybody who believes God fulfills his promises. Anybody who believes God does what he says he's going to do. Anybody who believes that God will eradicate the guilt of your sin, the penalty of your sin, if you believe upon His Son, Jesus Christ, will be blessed. God says, believe upon My Son and you'll be saved. That's what He says. No greater blessing than that. So Mary is a great example to us. Mark it, she is not the mother of God. She is not the mother of God, as the heresies of the Catholic Church proclaim. She is not the queen of heaven. She is just a believer. And she was blessed. Not because, ultimately, because she was chosen to bear the Messiah. No. She was blessed, not simply because of what God did to her physically, overshadowed her and came upon her and the offspring is now this holy offspring. No, that's not primarily why she was blessed. She was blessed because of faith. Faith. She was blessed in her belief. She believed there would be a fulfillment of what God said. And since she believed, she followed it. She walked according to it. And she went to see Elizabeth where her faith was strengthened. Mary sets an example. An example for us that when God speaks, we listen and we obey. God speaks. We listen to it. We can even say in our heart of hearts, just like Mary said, the bond slave of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. What your word says to me, so let it be. And we walk in obedience to it. Do it. We run and gather around those who are doing the same thing. Those who are walking by faith. Those who have followed the word of God with faithfulness and and trust in him. and, And they're walking by faith in God, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though people doubt it, even though some say you're a nutcase. Mary shows us how to respond to the Word of God. She heard, she believed, she obeyed. And we're going to find out next time that 
in the end, that led her to worship. Worship. What an example. Luke says, Theophilus, you've been taught about this. You've been taught about it. You've heard about it. You need to believe like Mary and like Elizabeth. You need to believe like they do. Sinners who believe that unless God works, nothing happens. That's how we're to live our lives, beloved. We don't get messages like God, God like, like Mary God, like Elizabeth, or like Zacharias God. We don't, we don't get messages from God. We don't hear voices from God. We don't get anything like that. But God has spoken to us. He has spoken to us clearly about who He is. He has given us His message, and it's right here in His Word. We have it. God spoke. question is, do we, like they, believe what it says? We believe. Do we believe His Word? And when we believe it, then do we obey it? Leading us, in the end, to worship. Worship. We're going to see Mary's worship. Mary's worship is internal worship, it's intense worship, it's habitual worship, it is humble worship. I'll see that next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. I pray, Lord, that that we've said what you've said. We've had our hearts encouraged by the reality of faith of those who have gone before. That we, like Theophilus, have been taught a lot. We want to know the truth. Help us to embrace what your word tells us by faith. Walk according to it as you have blessed us both with faith and as we exercise faith. Be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.